0: What up, world? It's your past first point guard and trailblazers reporter, Mike Richmond. You'll listen to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts and also on YouTube. Thanks for making this show your first listen, coming at you each and every weekday, Monday through Friday. So make it a part of your daily routine, make it your first listen. Tell your friends to do the same. It's Locked On Blazers, your team every day. In today's show, the Rockets made a trade to acquire an injured backup center. Guess that takes Robert Williams off the table for the Rockets. Talk about that trade and kind of the market as it sets the tone for Robert Williams's potential movement in the near term, although I think it's unlikely. We'll talk about Tumani Kamara, who just straight up didn't make yesterday's episode because I screwed up. So we're gonna give him his flowers in the second segment. He was a big part of that Blazers win over the Bucks. And then I want to answer a listener question heading into the weekend. What if the Blazers do nothing at the trade deadline? What if, and the dangers of nothing, if there are any? But let's let's talk about a trade. There was a a relatively minor, certainly for this season, very little impact, on-court impact for this season, none uh, uh, on-court impact for this season, a trade between the Memphis Grizzlies and the Houston Rockets. The Memphis Grizzlies sent... Veteran center Stephen Adams uh, to Houston, and in return, Houston sent Victor Oladipo two second-round picks, or excuse me, three second-round picks: two in 2024, one in 2025. But three—I think the total is more important for for our purposes than when they are. Uh, but three second-round picks, Victor Oladipo, in, in exchange for in exchange for Stephen Adams. So what do the Rockets get? The Rockets get uh, you know a veteran center who is an elite rebounder basically you know he's been an elite rebounder but teams he plays on for his entire career are elite offensive rebounding teams when steven adams is in the game you get more offensive rebounds an elite rebounder uh, and and just a, a a rugged physical uh physical veteran center the Memphis Grizzlies get Victor Oladipo, who's who might not play in the NBA again. I, I would, I, I, you know, he's he's hasn't been with the Rockets. He's been rehabbing all year. There's no plan, like specific plan, for him to return. I bet he won't report to Memphis. Um, you know, he just dealt with a ton of injuries. It's just, it's, it's been, it's been part of the back half of Oladipo's what what a really promising career early on, uh, in uh, particularly when he when he got to Indiana, but just has not been able to stay healthy, and so. Steven Adams who hasn't played basketball since uh, in the NBA since January of 2023 he's going to miss you know 18 months as he, he tried to what happened to Adams was he he had a knee injury and he tried to go non-surgical so he going to sit out most of the second half of the season uh you know January until the playoffs and he was going to return for the playoffs but he just couldn't get right and then he was like okay I'm I'm I'll you know take the whole summer and then I'll, I'll return and when he tried to return he just his knee wasn't ready and he had to go the surgical route and so he's he's now going to miss a year and a half of basketball but like all these reports, expected to be fully healthy in 24-25. We all expect to be fully healthy in the future. That's how it works. Um, what does this mean for the Blazers? Why are you telling me about a, a, a Memphis Grizzlies-Houston Rockets trade that has uh, two players who are not going to play basketball this season? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Welcome to Lockdown Blazers. We provide context and nuance for the minutia of the NBA. And the big stuff, too. Context and nuance for all sizes of things. The Houston Rockets have been reportedly interested in Robert Williams. Who's Robert Williams? Well, he's not too dissimilar from Stephen Adams in terms of context. He is uh, you know, a veteran center. He's a uh, who's injured and going to miss the remainder of the season and hopes to be fully healthy in the 24-25 season. They make about the same amount of money. Rob Will's a little bit younger and is a little bit cheaper, um, but he has more of an injury history than Stephen Adams does. I think at his peak it's not even a question that Robert Williams was better than Stephen Adams because Rob Williams was, probably should have won defensive player of the year one season but Marcus Smart generously took it from his teammate congrats to my man smart but um you don't trade for you know for for in these situations you aren't trading for what their peak was you're trading for what they ho- you hope they get back to and i think in general like broadly speaking expiring money and 3 second round picks is probably about the market you would expect for Robert Williams. I don't think there's a big frothy market to trade for Rob Williams on coming off this injury and uh you know and not going to be eligible to play this year. There's just not many teams that are kind of um at this time of year, there's t- not too, 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 too many teams that are thinking about next fall and next next spring. Most teams are thinking about this spring and hoping how they can get from April to May and May and beyond for a handful of them. So I don't think there was ever going to be this big old market for Rob Williams. The market was specifically, it seemed like, the Rockets and Imei Yudoka was looking for this, right? They wanted... A back someone to play to back up Alperen Sengun, who could provide defense and rebounding, uh, and and sort of a physicality and the, that veteran presence that you can just be depend like dependably work with. But I think what it means for the Blazers that is if they were to explore trades for Rob Williams, this is the floor. But the ceiling can't be much higher than this. The floor is going to be three seconds now, in the same way that I thought that I, I I still think this, that Terry Rozier, in many ways, was a market setter for what you can anticipate for a potential, if there is one, Malcolm Brogdon trade, which is the money to make it work and a protected first round pick. That That is like that is what I assume um, Malcolm Brogdon's uh, market is. and That's mostly what the reporting has been around it, although I think... Uh, we haven't heard real specifics on on uh, sort of packages, but a protected first round pick has been, mo- has, been the, has been the reporting and speculation, certainly is my personal speculation with just with no sources just uh, talking about just understanding how the league works. And the way that Rozier set the market for Malcolm Brogdon, I believe Stephen Adams sets the market for Rob Williams. That is to say, there really isn't one. There was one team. they were interested in doing one thing, and they did it. So the Blazers are unlikely to move him, which is fine. It's fine. It is not a, it, it is not like important for the Blazers to trade Robert Williams. the The reason that it was that we discussed it in the past because there was specific interest. When you are trading him now, when if for the Blazers trading Rob Williams now, you're trading him at probably the, the trough of his value, right? The nadir of his value. Um, it, it, this is the bottom. Conceivably, he gets back, plays basketball again, and is immediately more tradable on a team-friendly contract, even with all the knowledge of his past injuries that other teams will have. The reason that the Blazers would... Um, try to move him is because a team like the Rockets was specifically motivated or you can add him to a trade and like, you know, say you, uh, Jackson Gatlin of Lockdown Rockets pointed this out to me. Say the Rockets are interested in Malcolm Brogdon or would have been, right? Um, And maybe they still are, but would have been. It's like, and they say, okay, we'll offer you a top 10 protected pick. I said, well, what if we throw in uh, Rob Williams and you take off the protections? Okay, yeah, let's do that. Let's call it unprotected or top three protected and you can add in Robert Williams and he would be a thing That could kind of sweeten sweeten a a larger deal. Uh, But he, you know, on his own, limited value, on his own, like. If he was playing, totally different value, but that, that's kind of the calculation for him. And I think you see with the Stephen Adams trade, the market that the Blazers would explore. The value would be, the the deal would be the money to make it work and second round picks. Like I think you can, the specifics of this being two, two, two picks in 2024 and one in 2025 is like not germane to the Blazers and, and, uh, and Robert Williams market because you'd be dealing with another team and maybe they don't have those picks to trade, et cetera, et cetera. But two second round picks or three second round picks and and the money to make it work. Is that worth trading uh, Trading Rob Williams? Probably not in my eyes, but the Blazers, you know, second rounders are going to have some value here in the future because teams are always going to want, expensive teams are always going to want to get off money and get second rounders because there's it's a stupid CBA loophole to sign second rounders as opposed to veterans, um, to, to older veterans. Um, it is... You know, it's just, uh, there is value in second rounders. You can find good players, Jabari Walker for one of them, but it is not super enticing and there's no reason for the Blazers to rush to it. So that's your limited market. And if there was a spot for, if there was a landing spot for Rob Williams, it was Houston. And now that ship done sailed. All right. Let's talk about Tumani Kamara. Boy, was he good on, on Wednesday evening. And I forgot about him. I'm sorry I missed him in the notebook uh let's mea culpa and and uh a, a little mea culpa and and some appreciation for Tumani who was really special in the win over the Bucks. we'll do that in the second segment but first let's talk FanDuel America's number one sports book uh we're closing in on NFL Sunday in fact when you are listening to this on Friday February 2nd we are a mere 10 days away from Super Bowl Sunday, one of the great betting events of the year. If you're someone who, um, if you're someone who is inclined or interested, or or maybe just wants to try it out for the first time, Super Bowl Sunday is the time to do it. And FanDuel's got you covered for Super Bowl 58 on everything, on player props and live bets and whatever you want. But here's what you do: is you go to fanduelcom slash on, You place a five dollar bet, and you you win heading into Super Bowl Sunday. Any five dollar bet you make, if you win five, if you win that bet five dollars or above they give you 250 dollars in bonus bets to play with and that way come super bowl sunday you can pull up on the couch grab the snack you want and then you can just play around and have a whole bunch of fun on really one of the great uh gambling days on on our on our north american calendar so check it out fanduel.com slash locks on place a five dollar bet get your 250 dollars in bonus bets to play with and and uh you know and if you're into it, go have fun. There's no better place to do it. Fan Duel, America's number one sports book, and official partner of the NFL. All right. So a funny thing happened recording a podcast in my basement uh, around 11:45 p.m. last night. I missed a note. I missed a note. And here's how you know you'll, I missed a note. If you're an eagle, eagle eared. <laughs> I don't think Eagles have, I don't think that's what that is. If you are, um, if you were paying close attention in the first segment yesterday, I said, you know, I thought Tumani Kumara played well and we'll talk about him later in the show. Cause I had him in the notebook. Like I, 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 I for long time listeners, I'm, um, I'm, um, I write down, I write this show down in a physical notebook. I go to the Bla- blazer games without my laptop. I, I use a pen. Uh, cause I, I, I don't need to live tweet the games. You guys can figure it out on your own. Um, I am I am taking my notes and getting ready for the game, and I'm writing stuff down, and I'm writing my little Tumani Kamara notes. And I just got to the third segment and straight up missed him. I was running a little bit long, I was getting tired, and I just screwed up. And I feel bad about it because not only did I prep it from first segment, third segment, it's bad radio, baby, but I like he played well and he deserves some love. So let's give him some love here in the second segment. Tumani Kamara. Tumani Kamara finishes with with a whopping four points. Four boards, two assists, and two steals. Played pretty well. But the box score doesn't really show it. Uh, played 22 minutes and 43 seconds. Played pretty well. Box score doesn't show this massive contribution. Plus minus of zero in a game that the Blazers won by three. And that's about normal. And it's like a, The Blazers were plus three. He was zero. Uh, plus minus in, in these games. Mostly meaningless. Um But this was a big game for Tamari Kamara. He drew three charges, and he got in the game early. And even just the participation alone was meaningful. He was in the game in the first quarter ahead of Matisse Theibel. And this is someone who has seen his minutes dwindle recently. Uh, Tamari Kamara... starting small forward from night one, won the job out of camp was awesome early in the season, but then his lack of offense kind of made him a liability in, in the starting lineup. And they just, they needed to make a change. They went to J- Jabari Walker and Walker's has been straight up better than him. Um, they're different players and bring different stuff to the, to the court, but like Walker's rebounding, um, and, and physicality was a huge boon to the Blazers. He's been better than, and then Kamara lately and has earned that spot rightfully taken it. And, and it's his, uh, but Kamara, but Kamara was still playing, you know, in that 18 to 22 minutes off the bench type of role. By the last couple of games, he's really started to see his his his, maybe his spot slip a little bit. Sunday against the Bulls, he played one shift, two minutes and 48 seconds. Came in to play some defense at the end of the first half. We didn't see him again. Then against Philly, he plays fifteen forty four, but nine and a half of those were in a third, were in the fourth quarter of of a game that was decided by thirty. So like in a normal like non garbage situation, he probably plays ten minutes in that game. You know, nine to ten minutes. Like he again, not not a lot of participation for uh, for Kamara. So even just to get into the game against the Bucks was like get into the game in the first quarter against the Bucks. it was like okay yeah uh Chauncey is going back going back to to this he's he's giving a specific look right he he wants Tamani in the game and I thought what really stood out to me was that defensive versatility right he's come off the bench the last nine games so he's you know he's he's being used in this reserve role but they they put him into this game in a reserve role still but like for the for the specific purposes of at least in this one, right away to go guard Damian Lillard, and Tumani Kamara went in there, and I thought he I thought his physicality and his length against Dame was really good. Then the fourth quarter came around, and Tumani drew three charges in the fourth. Just put his body on the line, got in front of Giannis Antetokounmpo, worked his butt off to be physical and in the way. Giannis is such a such a like powerful, I dare you to get in front type of driver. And Tamani Kamara said, yeah, let's let's do it. I, I take the dare. <laughs> Just absolutely crush me. Uh, I will, have, will be happy to get the ball back. Um, I, I thought he was solid and competitive against Giannis, but I think where for me watching the game where he stood out the most was his, was his physicality against Dame and length against Dame and relentless pressure against Dame. I think the Blazers' willingness to let Tumani Kamara press has probably gone a little too far. It's probably it's it's probably has diminishing returns at this point because he while while the pressure is good and the Blazers are I like think the pressure ha- good. It's, it's, let me be a little more specific there. While the pressure can have value against players that want to push and know it's coming and can play with tempo and pace they just if they beat Tumani Kumara in the backcourt he's 80 feet from the rim and you got and you're moving downhill with a 5 on 4 like at half court you're you are giving a team uh that doesn't you know that isn't like this elite help defensive team you're 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 putting them in a bind immediately and i think against teams against um you know he played, played pretty well against Steph who can sometimes do it but against you know like there was there's times against faster point guards, uh, deer and fox, or or just like bigger bigger wings that that aren't you know wouldn't be bothered by it. It's like uh, a Devin Booker comes to mind, where Tumani Kamara's willingness to start guarding 80 feet from the rim has been a problem. It, it, it hasn't been, um, it just hasn't had the value. And you couple that. With, and that's a coaching problem as much as a 2 money problem to be clear but you couple that where it's like the thing that he was doing early in the year that full court pressing which was like r- was valuable when when teams have kind of solved it and specific matchups really can take advantage of it it's like maybe don't maybe don't do this uh, on every every trip down the floor like it's fun but it's it's it, there's some diminishing returns um it's it is when you couple that with his offense which just teams just stop guarding him they just straight up don't guard him uh, in the half court um and he stopped get they stopped guarding him and then he stopped shooting and you and you combine those two things like it's you know missing shots is one thing in the league not shooting when you when you get open shots is is almost more detrimental to the modern nba offense you got to shoot it you got to shoot it <laughs> like it's just um it, it is if teams know they don't have to guard you, and then when you do get it, that you're not even going to put it up, like, you just, you are such a detriment. And then Tumani would, would couple that with some kind of like, okay, I'm now I'm going to drive a closeout. Well, they're not closing out very hard on you. You're driving into nowhere. You're not a great passer. not a great ball handler. Like, just some bad decision making. And all of those things coupled together, and it's like, he should play a little bit less. And he was. He was. I, I think it's fair. You know, it's it's maybe not, um, you know, you want him to, to play well and continue to play well and and and, and to like you know and and grow into his role, but in the same way that it makes total sense, that they're playing Scoot Anderson a little bit less. More on that later. Uh, like it makes sense to playing Tumani less. It just it is it is what it is. They're trying to win the games. Um, whether whether they should be is is for someone else to answer. I think it's fine that they're trying to be competitive. Personally, um, if they finish with the eighth worst record in the league, it's not that much more detrimental than finishing with the sixth worst record in the league. Uh, but like. After rightly falling out of the rotation, you get Tumani in this game, pressuring the hell out of Damian Lillard, taking three charges from Giannis Antetokounmpo, and generally bringing the type of defensive presence that he brought early in the season and made him such an intriguing player right out of training camp. He was impactful. He was aggressive. He, was, he, di- he, he played the way he plays, and it worked incredibly well against this specific team. I do think the Bucks failed the test, though, on the final Blazers' possession. Blazers don't call timeout. They have... Amphrey Simons turned the ball over twice in the final minute. Once trying to get a, a pass into Jeremy Grant, another getting trapped in the backcourt. And they don't send a double team. And with Tumani Kamara in the game at the end of the fourth quarter, that's who you double off of. That's Giannis Antetokounmpo's man. And he's kind of cheating and playing free, uh, you know, free safety. He's got to go get the ball. Amphrey Simons has struggled against two things, length, physicality. And when you bring those two together, length and physicality and double team, that has been the worst, the biggest problem for Amphrey Simons this year is handling that in on in half-court offense. He's when he's looked his absolute worst. The Bucs don't do it. He hits a game winner. You don't, you fail the Tumani Kamara test. See ya! The Blazers win. And Tumani doesn't, he doesn't get caught for being a liability on offense. He was incredibly effective, incredibly fun on, on, on defense. I hope he earns, you know, more minutes. Uh, you're not going to play him every night, I th- but like he's the Blazers' best point of attack defender. And if he can grow into something, and I don't know if he's going to do that. I don't think he'll do that this year, but in the future and as, as, as he matures in the league into something like a slightly below average offensive player, he's immediately impactful. Because he hustles his butt off and he is a really good defender in year one in the league. And as you play more years in the league, you recognize more patterns, you get better at it. He's he's the chances are he'll be a better defender moving forward. Um, you know, I know he's like old for a rookie, but he's 23. Like he has he has plenty of, like if you're just talking like the timeline of an NBA career, he has a lot of time to be a very, a very good NBA player. Is he going to morph into something beyond a, a defensive role player? No. But could he be a lot better of a defensive role player? Absolutely. Absolutely. And for him to get to be a positive contributor on the court, like he was so good in this game defensively that he was a positive contributor. His, one of his buckets was a running right-handed hook that was just out, out of control. I can't believe he banked in a moving across the paint bank uh, uh, straight on hook shot. a wild one but like if he if he can can, if he can somehow become just a not even like a good offensive player a slightly below average offensive player he has an easy path to being positively impactful because he's already a good defender and that was on full display on wednesday night if i had remembered you in my notebook Tumani, you would have gotten like 90 seconds of me saying you played well i forgot you in the notebook my man you got 10 full minutes of love here in the second segment on a friday Tumani was really good. He was, he was, he was a fun watch. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad he had uh, had had that bounce back night. Okay, I want to close the show with a question that I got from a listener this morning in the email inbox. What if the Blazers do nothing at, at the trade deadline? Is that a problem? Let's talk about what that might mean in the third segment. First, let's talk prize picks daily fantasy made easy. Here's how it works. You pick between two and six players on every entry. And you can play whatever sport you want. You can mix and match if you're into it. So for me, I play things, I play the NBA. You can play the NHL. You can play the NFL as we head into the final week of, of the football season. Uh, but you you just pick more or less than the projections set by Prize picks. So for basketball, things like points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks, more or less than stat projections set by Prize picks. Get your money. You go six for six, you can win twenty-five times your money. But you can call your shots. You can say, "I want to, you know, uh, I want to get four out of six right." And here's how much I'll win. I want to get five out of six right. And here's how much I'll win feeling froggy go big you can you can hedge a little bit if you want and it's just you versus those numbers so go check out prizepickscom slash locked on nba and use the promo code locked on nba for your first deposit match up to 100 bucks again prizepickscom slash locked on nba and they'll match you dollar for dollar on your first deposit up to 100 when you use the promo code locked on nba that's PrizePicks daily fantasy made easy all right Still pass first point cards. still Mike Richmond, still listen to Locked On Blazers. And yeah, I screwed up my intro to the third segment. It happens, baby. I got an email today from listener Todd. And Todd sent, we actually had exchanged emails today, but the, 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 the premise of the first email was like, hey, are the Blazers crazy if they don't trade any of their, uh, you know, any of the Rob Williams or Jeremy Grants or, or Malcolm Brogdon's? Is that crazy? Like, would this would this be a like a big mistake? Um, and the answer is maybe. But let, let's let's drill down on this a little bit. It doesn't sound like Rob Williams has much of a market. Why would he? He's injured. It was it was weird that he even had a market. It was a very specific need from a very specific team. I, I assume he won't be moved. The Blazers are sending every signal possibly, um, every signal possible that they don't want to trade Jeremy Grant. I don't. I kind of get why they wouldn't want to trade Jeremy Grant because they don't need to. Um, they don't need to like clear space for anyone. There's not like a young starting, you know, starting power forward behind him, like playing Tumani and Jabari Walker a, a million minutes a night because you trade Jeremy Grant is not um, necessarily super valuable. There's not like, you know, there isn't that waiting in the wing starting power forward. He's productive, they need his offense, they like him, they sign him to this big ass contract. Um, he'll be tradable into the future. Like they don't need to trade him. They absolutely should. To listen to every call they possibly can. Everyone who calls on Jeremy Grant, they should listen to the call. You listen to field every single offer. Um, you know, there's no like trading block in the NBA. You don't like add Jeremy Grant to the queue and then people can call. Teams talk all the time, and, and every time they ask, the Blazers should say, figure out what teams are. What is what is the interest level in Jeremy Grant? Because if it, if it is high, and it, and I don't know how high it'll be, but if it is really high, go for it all the way. Like press presses presses far forward and pursued that as much as you can. I'm in favor of it, but, but it sounds like they don't want to. So really we're talking about Malcolm Brogdon. Like th- th- that that that's what we're talking about. We're talking about them trading Malcolm Brogdon. And I'm I'm on I'm on the record. <laughs> if you're a listener, you know my stance. I think they they should and have to trade Brogdon. But there's a chance they don't. He's under contract like um they don't they are not legally obligated to and they obviously like him right like he told um you know i haven't reported either i haven't really talked about either of these stories uh jeremy grant told sean hyken of rose garden report he doesn't want to be traded malcolm brogdon told jason quick of of the athletic he doesn't want to be traded what are these guys gonna say like that's good reporting i'm glad they do that like getting those guys on the record talking about it that's good reporting that's the that is the beat beat 101 Uh, it's like good job uh, you know ask these guys about it when they're when th- that's like just like how you cover the team right and this particularly if you cover it every and, and on a daily basis uh, in the written word like in, in, in like truly on the beats as opposed to a podcaster such as myself who's uh floating near the beat in my in my case uh, but like what are these dudes gonna, what are these dudes going to say they're going to be like can't wait to get the hell out of here like and it particularly Jeremy and Malcolm—they're they're not people who rock the boat. Um, Malcolm's a straight shooter. Or maybe he's lying, but like he's not—he's smart enough to to say the right thing. And I, I think he has done that consistently. And he's been—he's you know when he first got here, he said he wanted to be here and all those things, right? Um, the Bulls don't have to trade Malcolm Brogdon. I believe strongly that they should, and I believe strongly that they should because I think when they're healthy, having four guards who need to play 25 plus minutes to be va- to have you know. For developmental reasons and because they're talented, is too much. It's too much. But Shane Sharp, you know, has 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 dealt with an injury for an extended period of time. Is probably going to miss at least another week. If and we'll see how long the Blazers haven't given a real update. But he's you know he's just getting back to on court work after missing a couple weeks with a with a uh, a groin injury that kept him out for for you know eight games before that um, before he came back briefly. So like when you only have three, when it's only three guards, it's not that big of a deal. And I know that I sit here and whine all the time about that. I think Scoot Henderson sh- should play more and I want him to play at the end of games. And like I, I nothing has changed with my stance on that. I still would like to see Scoot play at the end of games. And I, moreover, I would like there to be a situation with the, where the roster is such that they can reward Scoot for where he plays well, because I think that's the actual issue. Plenty of nights, Scoot plays terribly, and having him play, having him sit at the end of games is like, eh, yeah, well, hey. But when he does play really well, having not having a functional roster that can put all three guys on the court, you know, could put him on the court at the end of games is a problem. They don't really like him playing next to Anthony Simons, and Malcolm Brogdon is good enough in the Blazers' pecking order that sitting him at the end of games is in and of itself weird. And moreover, like, I complain about Scoot's playing time, but, like, Scoot's, you know, it, if, if Scoot's going to play against um, Milwaukee, Scoot played 22 minutes, I would like to Scoot to play like 30, right? 27 to 30 minutes. I think that would be a totally reasonable everyday uh, participation for him. Is five minutes a night over the course of a season going to drastically impact Scoot Henderson's development curve? No, of course not. Of course not. But my like sort of larger gripe is like, Uh, this isn't a good team or a team that's like trying to be good. Like this is a team that's prioritizing development. So just like lean into it and like really prioritize that development. Go for it. Like don't, um, it seems like a half measure. And again, like the the thing that bothers me the most is the lack of abilities or reward. Uh, Scoot Henderson I think they can keep him you know like not playing him and making him a bench player so he gets to play against mostly reserves and he doesn't start games and he gets away from Amphrey Simons and that pairing like clearly doesn't work right now like all of those things make sense to me I think I think Scoot generally has been better off the bench although like he's had plenty of stinkers off the bench too it's not the it's not a magical cure but he's generally been better uh, coming off the bench like it totally makes sense like it makes it the logic's fine from the Blazers perspective it's just like when he plays well once every eight games. There's no there's no way to reward him. There's no way to play him down the stretch. So I feel strongly that they should trade Malcolm Brogdon because there should be a way to reward him. And if if Shaden Sharp is healthy at the end of the year, I think they should just play Shaden and Scoot and Anthony Simons and see what the future is. And there's literally no reason, particularly after the All-Star break, literally no reason for Malcolm Brogdon to play. But if he's here, he's going to play. It's unbelievably clear from the way Chauncey Phillips has done things. And that's, that's the danger of standing pat. Moreover, I think I've used moreover like four times here in this podcast. It's the word of the day. Uh, In addition, uh, there is a concern from some fans that if you trade Malcolm Brogdon, uh, then you'll be light on guards. And you would be, unless you trade for a guard back. And you are legally allowed to acquire players of slightly lesser skill and slightly lesser stature who play the same position as Malcolm Brogdon in a trade. Like, you could trade back for a young veteran who plays. Like, you could like to use a specific example like they could trade for for Evan Fournier and they could just like have him play a little bit in emergency situations when they needed him and he could like dribble and shoot and stuff and it would be okay like they don't they don't have to only trade for like some amorphous player that's never going to play, or some like, you know, or only draft picks. First of all, it's twenty-two million dollars for Malcolm Brogdon, uh, so they, they're going to have to trade back for something that some some kind of money, some kind of contract, and somebody, and that somebody can be a guard. They just need to be a guard that doesn't need twenty-eight to thirty-five minutes a night. Could play a little bit less, and it would be normal. Again, it would be weird if Scoot played over Malcolm Brogdon. If you're trying to be competitive against the Bucks, my argument is that. You're not always trying to do that. And at some point, you're really not going to be trying to do that. And at some point, juggling four guards that need to play is too much. It's too much. So to answer Todd's question, is it a problem? Is it a problem or a a mistake if they don't trade them? I can't imagine Brogdon's value gets gets higher. There's a chance it remains the same. There's a chance his, his value right now is something like a top 20 protected first round pick. And the Blazers are like, dang. That stinks. We thought we were going to get more for that and we're going to hold out. when they get to the summer and teams are expensive and they're shifting, you know, shifting things around and they say, what if we trade you, you know, slightly more money in the form of two players and you give us one player back we get under the apron or we get you know get out of the tax or whatever it might be and you like you know in, in the summertime there's 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 more manipulating teams can look ahead and figure out how to manipulate but in the summertime there's there's generally more um teams ducking and dodging and weaving because they can they have more flexibility with the sort of timing of trades and free agency and all that right like we can get into that later in, in the offseason so I think Malcolm Brogdon could, if, he's, if his, his, his trade value could remain flat, right? If it's, if it's what it is now, it could be that same deal in July and, and they could trade him then, right? Trade him around draft night in June, trade him in July and free agency, whatever it is. Like, I don't think it immediately diminishes. But it's not going up. <laughs> Malcolm Brogdon is not going to become more valuable, he will be an expiring contract next year but the value of trading him now is two playoff runs with Brogdon. this this playoff run and the next one like that's the actual value that he would bring not just an expiring at least f- for the moment and if he's just an expiring it means you probably have him till the trade deadline or next year most likely like it's it's if you don't get rid of him in, in the off season so i i don't think there's like this great you know, I don't think it's going to ruin them if they stand, if they hold Malcolm Brogdon. But for a variety of reasons, I maintain I maintain my stance. Trade him, trade him. He's he's good. Like, he's good. He could help a team. Whether he can bring back a package the Blazers want, we will see. But I think the danger of standing pat is just that it continues the season long trend of it being messy. And at, after the after the trade deadline. And if assuming Shane Shard comes back and, and is healthy and needs to play, the value of what Brogdon brings, he's done it. He's played he'll have played you know 50 games with the blazers. It'll be time to let him go and if he's not comfortable sitting and watching, then you get into the messy stuff. So Todd, it's not awful, but in my mind and for a variety of reasons, as I've just stated, it would be it would still be a mistake. So hopefully they do something. Hopefully by the time, uh hopefully by this time next week, we can talk about where Brogdon landed and what the Blazers got back in return because the trade deadline is next week. Uh, That's why we'll have a whole bunch of fun next week. Uh, The Blazers play a couple games in Denver. Next time you hear my voice, we'll recap a couple couple, uh, Nuggets games. And then they've got some time off uh, before the trade deadline. So uh, we will look ahead and get you covered with everything you need to know heading into a big transaction week in the league. Five days a week, wherever you get podcasts, and also on YouTube. I appreciate you listening. Tell your friends about the program. I'll talk to you soon.